0: 13814567 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's word on this edition of the virtual Bible study.
1: And we welcome you into the virtual Bible study. This is the virtual Bible study for Thursday, September 15th, 2011. My name is Jacob Gwyn. And my father, Greg Wynn, is out of town preaching tonight. And in his place, we have James Buchanan sitting across the table from me. James, welcome back to the program. It's been several years since you've been here.
2: It's great to be here.
1: Yeah, it's good to have you here. Anthony is behind the controls tonight, ready to take your call, at 877-381-4567. You can also email questions at collegeview.com. And if you're watching us live tonight and watching our video feed, you can check out our chat room to the right of your video window, we appreciate you being on the program tonight, and look forward to your participation. We're going to talk tonight about an interesting uh, program, Anthony uh, uh, James, uh, a program that is very important, and a discussion very important. I want to talk about the reliability of the Bible, uh, James? You believe the Bible is a reliable document? Absolutely. All right, and there are reasons why. That's not just a blind faith that you have. There are reasons why. We're going to talk about those reasons on the program tonight. So we look forward to hearing from you at eight seven seven three eight one. Four, five, six, seven. We asked earlier today to our update list, four questions for your consideration. Number one, is it fair for an unbeliever to ask us to prove what we believe? Is it fair? Is, this, is the whole discussion tonight, uh, James, a fair one? We want to talk about that. Number two, what proofs did the apostles offer for their teaching? You know, I think one of the answers to that will be that the apostles offered proof. We want to look at what those proofs are. And then uh, number three, what? how many Greek manuscripts of the New Testament are there? How does this compare with other writings of antiquity? That's going to be an interesting fact and an interesting revelation perhaps if you don't know the answer to that question as we compare the Bible and line it up with other documents of antiquity. And number four, what are some proofs? for the Bible's internal unity. Those are four questions for you to consider tonight. If you haven't signed in on those or logged in on those questions yet, you can do so in the chat room over email over the phone tonight as we talk about the reliability of the Bible. What about the reliability of the Bible?
2: Well, it's, it's absolutely reliable. I don't believe that we should expect people to just simply take our word for it. Certainly, we need we, we believe that there is adequate, reasonable evidence for the reliability of the Bible. Now, we, I, I do not believe that we absolutely can, to somebody's satisfaction, who does not want to believe the Bible. I do not believe that we can prove absolutely to their satisfaction that is reliable. I don't believe we ever will to somebody who does not want to believe, but to somebody who is honestly searching for truth, I believe that there is good, reasonable evidence that this book that we call the Bible claim to be God's, final revelation to us is reliable
1: so what you're saying is that uh, there won't be any uh, there won't be anything there that will remove the requirement for faith
2: that's But, that's but, but
1: faith can be based upon sound proof and evidence
2: i believe i believe that's that's correct we we can get close enough with reasonable evidence to where you know our faith is is strengthened by that evidence um it is not a substitute for faith we're not going to but all of a sudden produce the the evidence that Paul took a, a piece of paper and he wrote something down and sent it to a, a church somewhere, we're not going to find that piece of paper. It right. just simply doesn't exist.
1: alright eight one four five six seven. Email questions at collegeview.com. Or join in the chat room tonight. And Larry in Kentucky has sent in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11, uh, James, for the answer to the first question, is it fair for an unbeliever? to ask us to prove what we believe. He says, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the reliability which God giveth, that God and all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him be praise and dominion forever and ever. Uh, he, he's saying we need to go back to the Bible and use it for our basis for trying to teach others. And uh, that would really be worthless if we couldn't have some confidence that the Bible is reliable and we couldn't ex- expect and assume that others who may be non-believers might be convinced of that reliability
2: as well. It comes back down to having a common standard. What do we what do we all agree upon that we're going to accept as the standard? And if we if we do not agree that the Bible is that standard, as this verse says, or speaks let them speak as the oracles of God, so we believe the Bible is the sole standard. Mm-hmm. But if we can't come to an agreement upon that. And I, and I believe that agreeing upon the reliability of the Bible is one of the things that we have to do in order to establish a common standard we're, we're not going to have a basis for any kind of discussion.
1: You make an interesting point because a lot of people in the denominational world today don't believe the Bible is real. They may, they may believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They may believe that God exists, but they don't believe that the Bible is reliable. In many mainstream denominations today, that is the common thinking. And that thinking, as you mentioned, James, only will lead uh, to the divergence of uh, political, I mean, uh, religious beliefs today because we're not playing by an absolute rule book, an absolute standard by the thinking of so many in the religious world today.
2: Well, that's right. I was talking to a co-worker of mine. Uh, she's a member of the Methodist Church, and, and she was bemoaning the fact that, for example, the Methodist Church that she's a member of, I don't know if all Methodist churches are like that, so... Uh, I don't want a bunch of Methodist hate mail or something, but um, yeah. but yeah. Okay. she she bemoaned the fact that they that the Methodist church she was a part of had no conviction yeah. on anything, yeah. and, and as it turns out, they also don't necessarily believe that the Bible is God's final revelation, only revelation, whatever.
1: All right, so this discussion has really some far-reaching ramifications in uh, our religious beliefs personally, and the religious we- beliefs in the religious world today. If we don't believe the Bible is reliable, then it just comes down to we don't have any rules. We don't have any standard. We don't have anything to go back on and say this is the way it has to be because God said so. Instead, it's just well, we're just left to our opinions, what I think and and my think-sos uh, to navigate us in
2: the religious world. Well, the Bible becomes nothing more than something that uh, that perhaps may influence our behavior, may cause us to be nice to each other. But as far as being an absolute... Uh, book that governs our our uh, faith and our practice, our doctrine, as far as it being the showing us the way of salvation. Some of those things w- wouldn't have wouldn't have any weight.
1: All right, uh, Anthony. This is really fundamental uh, as we think about uh, solving uh, the uh, division that's in the religious world today. We've got to be convinced and convicted that the Bible is in fact reliable.
3: Right, uh, you know. As we've said, if we don't, if we're not all playing by the same rule book, then then we're certainly not going to, to come to that unity that God desires and Jesus desires. So um, we need to be playing by the same rule book. And we need to ask the question, uh, is the Bible reliable, especially when we... Look at the, the world around us with so many skeptics out there that, uh, that are asking this question. So we need to be able to, to defend it and answer it.
1: All right. Uh, Larry is uh, in the chat room tonight and has uh, followed up. He says, if we have faith, we will believe that the Bible is reliable. He references 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. All scriptures given by inspiration of God it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. We've got to have that conviction, James. It's got to be, uh, it's got to be the foundation of our faith.
2: Absolutely, no, no argument with that whatsoever. Uh, again, uh, it still comes back to though, uh, we've, we've got to get people to a point where they accept the scripture before they can accept something like the scripture, proclaiming that it itself is a scripture. to be like to a certain extent, it becomes me saying, well, I am the President of the United States. Why? because I just said I was president of the United States. Well, obviously that, that argument has has absolutely no merit. Right. Um,
1: yeah, and for me to to obey the instructions you would give as president of the United States, I've got to be convicted you, uh, that you are, in fact, the president for me to follow those instructions.
2: Well, that, that that's right. So uh, I, though I absolutely believe the passage that, that Larry has introduced, I also believe that we need to do everything that is at all possible to help people Understand that the Bible is reliable. I believe that there's good evidence within the Bible. I believe there's good evidence to, uh, good evidence outside of the Bible to help show that the Bible is is reliable.
1: All right. Uh, let's uh, let's quickly ask the question then, uh, James. Is it reasonable for us then to have to prove that the Bible is, in fact, the Word of God?
2: Oh, I I, I, I think I think it's absolutely reasonable. It's, it, it, as a matter of fact, I, I would rather somebody who is considering what I believe, I would rather that they ask questions, that they, um, that they in fact inquire uh, okay. about about what we're um, teaching.
1: All right, let's go to the phones real quick, and uh, we'll welcome Mike uh, to the program. Mike, welcome to the virtual Bible study.
4: Hey guys, how are you guys doing?
1: All right, is this Mike in Orleans, Indiana? It
4: is. You know my voice by now. Don't you?
1: Yeah, Mike. Thanks for calling us tonight.
4: <laughs> hey, no problem. Say, so, you know, one of the things uh, that helped me. You know, I don't know if you knew this or not, but Back when I began my study, um, you know, my search for the truth. When I began, I was a little bit like maybe some of the folks that might be listening to you out there, and I I was kind of an agnostic. I didn't didn't know. I didn't think that you know, if God was invisible, there probably wasn't a way that you could ever know with any certainty that there is a God out there. And uh, ironically, you know, I'm a Christian now, but my search for the truth began with a study with the Jehovah's Witnesses, and one of the things that they did that was beneficial to me is that they helped me to understand the truth as far as, you know, whether or not there really was a God. And in Hebrews chapter three, verse four, I think it is, it, it talks about how um, every house has a builder or every house is built by someone, I think some versions say. And that, that, that was such a simple statement, but it was such a profound statement for me and it caused me to really think about things in another life that I've never thought about before. That if you look around yourself, and it really started my my interest in a whole other study of uh, of topics, you know, that that we would call apologetics, where we can look at the universe and we we can see the order and organization to things, and it becomes almost impossible to deny that those things were put there by a designer. You know, a design demands a designer. Yeah. And, you know, I went from that, I left the, the uh, study with Joe's Witnesses not long after that, and went on a, a series of, of really trying to study different world religions. And, and to make a long story short, um, I studied through that and through the denominationalism and ended up coming out to a place where I just realized that there was no other religion on earth that had as much support for it, I mean, undeniable support that... There were things that were, by themselves, each individual thing might have been coincidental, but as a whole, you couldn't deny that all of these things were just too amazing to be coincidental altogether at the same time. And so there's, there's more, I guess what I'm trying to say is that there's, there's so much, uh, I guess, apologetic material that would prove that what the Scriptures say actually are true and accurate, that it, it, it would almost be undeniable. Well, yeah. and I've used the illustration before. For example, like if, if you were to say, um, you know, you're, you're you, you, you uh, you're on a jury and you weren't actually there and so you can't actually say that somebody committed murder, but the, uh, the prosecuting attorney is saying to you uh, that you've got evidence whether his fingerprints are on the gun and, uh, you know, the gun was his and you've got eyewitnesses and DNA evidence all this supporting evidence that points to the fact that he's the murderer, is he the murderer? Well, you weren't there. You don't actually know it. But you can have faith that he's the murderer because all the evidence points in that direction.
1: Yeah, yeah, Mike. You know it's interesting and encouraging that uh, you would call in and we're having a discussion like this because you, I don't know how, how what the the background is of our listeners, but you, as one person who came to religion as an unbeliever, rather than being raised uh, in a family perhaps that uh, that was uh, sort of training you up in the, in, the, in the religion, you you came to it. Uh, from an from an outside in kind of uh, approach, where you actually did try to prove and to uh, and verify these things for yourself, uh, basically from scratch.
4: Well, yeah, and and I had to go through an awful lot to defend what I was doing because I've, you know, I, I've I've got a nephew in the same position that I'm in right now. He's he's uh, accepted the truth and he's a Christian now too. But uh, I was mocked and ridiculed by an awful lot of people. Uh, I think every friend that I had in the past is is no longer my friend because I don't do the things that I used to do, and I'm just not. I guess I'm not fun in their eyes anymore, you know. But I'll take that as a compliment. Yeah. But uh, it's not an easy thing to to come out of the world and become a Christian, especially if you're doing it by yourself.
1: Yeah. Well, Mike, let me ask you quickly: um, what as you were coming to the Bible and trying to prove that it was, in fact, the Word of God? What was the biggest Proof or evidence in your mind that uh, the the one that weighed the heaviest as you tried to determine if uh, if you know God really existed, but mainly as a, w- relates to our study tonight, that the Bible was in fact His word.
4: Well, I, I don't know there was any one thing, but as, as far as maybe a category I could I could offer our listeners tonight, it would probably be. Now I want to preface what I'm going to say: the Bible is not intended to be a science book. But it does contain a lot of scientific evidence and foreknowledge of science. Be on the back of, the of a strong man, wasn't it? Talk about scientific evidence. Who stand on a circle? It's turtle. just amazing to me that someone would go against all common knowledge of their day and the accepted scientific norm of their time, and yet be right, be proven right centuries yeah. and millennia later, be proven right on all those issues. You know, never wrong.
1: You know, Mike, that's a good point because if I was going to try and pull a sham or a farce, I would not want anything, any facts in, in my book to contradict right. the common thinking of the day. I'm yeah, to, because I'm trying to I'm trying It's
4: something different than, than, you know, what a crazy learning you and I are today because we say that evolution is full of full holes. The, the theory is a mess. Right. And people say, oh, come on, science has proven that there is no God. Yeah, yeah but... You know, then, all the scientific evidence has proven there is no God. Well, you and I know different. But you see, we get a lot of ridicule <clears> because <throat> people who really believe in science and put their faith in that religion... Yeah. But, you know, they, they think that it's proven. But if, well, you know, just go back and look at the history of science, and right. you'll find out that science has been wrong a it, lot more times than the Bible has. Yep. i guarantee you that. Well, it's yeah, only, if it been wrong once, It's been the, wrong the, the only
2: thing I'd like science to do is I'd like for it to stay the same for about 25 years, and if it stayed the same for about 25 years, we might be we might get somewhere. Since it since it doesn't, even with things like evolution, well, you know which which version uh, of the of. Of the scientific theory is the right version. Yeah, I just want to stay the same for a while, and then,
4: <laughs> yeah, you know, the creationist version.
2: Yeah, yeah, but yeah, now, yeah, the uh, but again, if
1: I was trying to write a book and I was trying to pull it over people's, uh, the wool over people's eyes, and think that this book was inspired by God or that it was something great, I, uh, the last thing I would want to do is put some kind of wild thing in the Bible, in the in the book that w- that would contradict what people understood as being the known, thing and the proven thing. Well,
4: and I, I agree, and the, the other thing that is amazing to me on this, too, Jacob, is I think the fact that, okay, you're going to write a, write a book, you're a, you're a charlatan, and you're going to write a book to pull the wool over people's eyes. Okay, you know in your heart of hearts that it's a lie, but you just really want to create a following after yourself. Okay, how far are you willing to take that lie? Are you willing to die for it? Because think about the number of men throughout biblical history right. that died to stand up for the so-called lie that they're trying to defend. Yeah. Would you really take it that far? I think I think by the time my head was on the chopping block, I'd be saying, hey, most of those, all right, I give up. It, it, it's all a lie. You know, I'll give this
1: up. I wouldn't make you it know, that far. Sure. Uh, as soon as they picked up the rocks and started throwing them, I think I'd be done. That's right. You take your act elsewhere. I'd go as somewhere else. else. I'd turn a circus. He
4: went through. And, and, he had, and these men, by the way, had nothing personally to gain from it. There was no monetary gain. There's no... No, if they gained from it whatsoever, they lost everything to defend. I guess what would have been a lie, but you know, obviously, we know that that doesn't even make logical sense. Yeah. So, All right. Um, well, I don't want to nominate the program tonight, but I just appreciate the, the discussion tonight. And, Excellent uh, talking to you, Mike. Job. Thank you
1: for joining us tonight. Thank you for those good comments. All, All right. right. Uh, the number is eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. We'd like to hear from you on the phone. Appreciate Mike for giving us a call, and it is encouraging, James, to. Talk to someone like him who came to this with, you know, wanting to prove for himself and right. uh, with no preconceived notions.
2: And I like the point he made, uh, too, uh, especially about how he looked at not only did he come to the determination that there was a God, but he also looked at other so-called revelations yeah. that were out there compared available, them. and he compared them, uh, and he found when he looked at the package as a whole, when he talks about the the Bible and the, the revelation that's there and, and uh, it, it, it To him, was the, it made the most sense. It was most reasonable, it was most acceptable yeah. of any of the, of the options.
1: All right. We're going to take a break, and during the break, we'd like for you to get your comments together. Uh, you can do that. Send them in via the phone, via email, or in the chat room tonight. But please, do participate in the program. We are benefited by your contribution. We're talking about the reliability of the Bible, and we'll continue that discussion on the other side of the break. We'll be back right after this.
0: Don't touch that mouse. The Virtual Bible Study will be back right after this.
5: us in his word we realize that we're fallible and cannot direct our own steps as a result what we think or feel doesn't really matter all that matters is what god has said so that's what the virtual bible study is all about it's pretty simple isn't it thanks again for joining us tonight and we will hope you'll make plans to join us every thursday night for the virtual bible study
6: Hi, my name is Mike Holt. My wife and I, we love listening to the virtual Bible study.
0: Use your Internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to
1: the program. Uh, and we're back on the program tonight. Did he just say that this program is good? I think so. Oh, well, I don't know. That's still be, to be determined. We're glad you're part of the program tonight. we talk about the reliability of the Bible. The reliability of the announcer may be in question, but the reliability of the Bible certainly isn't. And we're talking about that on the program tonight. And, uh, James, uh, when we think about, uh, you know, just the idea of making sure in our minds that we're convinced that the Bible is reliable, the Bible does instruct us that we need to be convinced and convicted ourselves.
2: That's right. You know, those of us who believe the Bible, you know, we, we have this charge to us. Uh, we're told in in 1 Peter 3 and verse 15, but in your heart's honor, Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. We're told to always be ready to give a defense for what we believe. Yeah. So so this is our responsibility as Christians. Those of us who believe the burden of proof is on us uh, uh, to, to, um, to show that, and to prove why we believe what we believe.
3: All right.
1: 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeu.com. Anthony, uh, your thoughts behind the controls tonight.
3: Well, I appreciate Mike calling in and uh i I was kind of mulling some of this over in my head before I came tonight and uh, you know trying to put myself in the shoes of somebody like Mike who at, at one point was uh not a believer in God at all and uh, I think you have to start as he did to try to if you actually if you look at the universe around you um, a reasonable person uh, would come to the conclusion as he said that that all of this design had to have a designer. And if you so okay, so now you've established that there's a greater being up there. Then you have to decide. Well, who's who's got the right version of events? Is it the Hindus? Is it the Muslims? Is it the Christians? And uh, uh, and if you take that path, I think if you are honestly seeking the truth and you weigh all the evidence, you would come to the Bible because these other these other versions of events, these other world religions, simply don't don't add up. They don't have the weight and the clout that, that uh, the Bible has as we go through tonight and look at some of these evidences.
1: That's a good point. Now, one other thing, Anthony, that we should also point out and consider, as uh, Mike said, that there may be not one specific thing you can put your finger on, but the, the weight of the evidence is sort of the cumulative effect, and it begins to build on itself. If I could look at the creation of the world and realize there must be a creator because of that, and then I look to the Bible by the design and the characteristic of the Bible itself tell me there's got to be a God for anything to be created as fine as the Bible demands that there would be a creator as well.
2: Oh, you know, you look at this book, I mean, just take just take the book itself. It's it's written over 1,500 years by 40 different authors.
1: And uh, David in uh, Lake City, Minnesota, is in the chat room tonight, and he mentioned that as well. Written by 40 different men over about 2,000 years and still say, tells the same consistent message.
2: That's right. There's no difference in the message. The, the, the doctrine is completely unified, and those things where, that are prophesied about, completely unified, w- without contradiction.
1: And David explains how that could happen. He says 40 different men, but only one author
4: uh uh-huh. That's right. That's Very right. Good.
1: appreciate those comments, uh, David, uh, from Minnesota Tonight. Now, uh, James, as we talk about um, these things and the reliability of the Bible and how the, there is evidence that the Bible is reliable and is from God, uh, are we going to be able to silence the mouths of every dissenter or every doubter?
2: Well, you know, there's basically three classes of people. There are those who are simple-minded. Those, those are people who just simply do not know. Mm-hmm. There are those who are fools who... Who uh, could know if, if they chose to know? And then there are those who are scoffers, who either know or they don't know, but they hate knowledge and instruction. They despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs one twenty two.
1: Proverbs one twenty two. That uh, your analysis of of people who would not believe are it does parallel Proverbs one verse twenty two. Perhaps that's where you got it, James. Proverbs one twenty two says, How long you simple ones will you love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Yeah. So either people just don't want to know, people specifically say they don't want to know, or people who, regardless of the facts, just want to sort of be the dissenting opinion.
2: That's, that's right. So uh, one of those three classes, the, the one who is honest, who honestly does not know, one who is naive, that person, that, that that's, that's the person that, that I believe that we have the most hope to reach. The person who does not want to know will always find a reason to not believe. If it's one thing, it's another, and you could argue with that person, Ad infinitum, and you'll never come to a common conclusion on these questions.
1: All right. uh, Quickly, is it necessary for us to provide this proof, or should we just tell people, go figure it out for yourself?
2: When when Luke was presenting something that was considered to be a new doctrine at his time, he was writing to this man, Theophilus, in Luke chapter 1, and uh, it seemed good, according to verse 3, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some 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 time past, to write an orderly account for you. Mm-hmm. Most excellent Theophilus, and and so, uh, and he talked about verse two, just as those of us from the beginning were eyewitnesses mm-hmm. and ministers of the word. So he's saying we saw this happen. We are eyewitnesses of this. And why is that important? They were there. The things that we're saying are true. We're giving a true account. And I believe it's important that I write it down orderly for you, so you can see exactly what happened.
1: And uh, a eyewitness accounts in a court of law are presented as proof. And so, what you're saying is Luke makes the same proof
2: here. Solid, solid evidence. And then verse four he says that you may have certainty mm. concerning the things that you have been taught. Sounds like proof to me. Yes, certainty, proof. Don't don't just take my word for it. Don't just just because I told you it was this way. We want you to have certainty, Theophilus.
1: And he follows up in Acts in, in the second uh, book there uh, about uh, with the, basically the same introduction to what he's about to say there.
2: Uh, that's right. He pretty much has the same thing. Uh, he talked about the first book. And then he goes on to, he said, in verse 3, very important, he says, he presented himself alive to them, talking about his apostles, after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So he refers back to this proof again, that Jesus presented himself alive, that we saw him alive. So uh, what we're really trying to establish there is this principle that even those who were, Involved in the uh, compilation, writing down the revelation of the Bible, people like Luke and, other, and, and the apostles, you know, they, they, uh, they, saw, they thought it was important to provide evidence.
1: All right. Uh, from our listeners tonight, uh, Chris is in Georgia, and we asked the question, is it fair for an unbeliever to ask us to prove what we believe? Chris's response is, absolutely. I would not expect anyone to believe what I was saying without proof, nor would I dare believe what people tell me without solid evidence. That's why I'm not a Mormon, a Jehovah's Witness, a Catholic, etc. Patrick in Birmingham, Alabama, follows up with his answer. He says it is fair. It is not only fair, but should be expected. Gullibility, which can sometimes be mistaken for faith, is not a virtue. If something is true, then there is evidence for it. It certainly is reasonable, for someone to say, why should I believe you if you can't offer any reason or evidence to do so? Believing something without any reason to do so is naivety. Na, na, naivety. Well, okay. I thought you were going to help me out with the pronunciation there. I yeah. got stuck. You, no. you didn't help me out. That's, the, that's your job in that chair, is to help me out when I get stuck. But you didn't do
4: naivety.
1: it. Naivete. Naivete, okay. <laughs> It is uh, to be expected that a young child will believe something simply because uh, someone, especially a loved one like a parent, told them. But intelligent discernment is part of maturity. Good uh, comment, sir, Papa. That's
2: a very good comment. And, and and so you know, with our children, we we do teach them to believe the Bible. We do teach them uh, to a certain extent with a with a sort of a blind faith and to trust us absolutely. And, and I believe God, as the creator of everything, has the right to expect that of us. However. We as parents have a point, have have an, it's very important for us to transition them from that very, where, where they are just fought, set, doing whatever we tell them to do. They have to adopt this as their own faith where they have their own faith in God.
1: All right. Well, we need to take a break and get a bullet point in for this week. And on the other side of the break, we'll continue the discussion. We've still got several questions to go. What proofs do the apostles offer for their teaching? That's a good question. We need to consider that. We talked about the apostles. And uh, the fact that they were using proof, what proofs did they use? And then, and then number three in your list of questions, right, how many Greek manuscripts in the New Testament are they? How does this compare with other writings of antiquity? And number four, what are some proofs of the Bible's internal unity? We've got a lot of ground to cover, James. Did you bring your uh, your high-speed gear there? We're going to have to get going. No. All right. We're, we're gonna... just going to go to Ten. No, we're going to go to 9, and then we're going to cut it off. So we've got to go fast. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study will continue right after this.
0: You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages.
5: This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. Many people still have difficulty understanding the connection between faith and works in the Bible. There are lots of folks who would have us to believe that simple faith is the only condition for salvation from sin. They point us to numerous Bible verses which emphasize the need for believing in Jesus as the Son of God. No one can deny that this is clearly a prerequisite to salvation. Jesus said in John 8, verse 24, Except ye believe that I am He, ye shall die in your sin. But what about works of obedience? What about confession as taught in Romans 10.10? Or repentance as taught in Acts 2.38? And baptism as taught in Mark 16.16? How do these commands fit into the scheme of redemption? Are they necessary or not? The answer is simple. It takes both. Both faith and works of obedience are needed in order to please God. There are a lot of ways we could prove this, but look at just one reference in the New Testament to an episode that happened in the Old Testament. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, Rahab the harlot is commended for her faith. And it says that her faith saved her from the destruction of Jericho. Quote, by faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. But just over a few pages in your Bible, you read of her again, this time in James 2, verse 25. There her works are mentioned, and it says that these were the basis of her justification. Note, likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and sent them out another way? Which was it, faith or works? The answer is easy. It was both. In fact, it's foolish to try and separate the two. In the same way, we must believe that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God, and upon that faith we must obey the commands found in the Scriptures. No need to try and separate the two. They belong together. God made them that way. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I am Néstor Sanchez from Arica, Chile in South America. And I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. And this moment, I invite you to participate in this program, too. That's
0: it. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. And we welcome
1: you back to the Virtual Bible Study tonight. We'll remind you this program is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. If you're in the Columbia, Tennessee area, or even if you're not, we encourage you to come and worship with us. Uh, find out more about us, where we meet, and what time at our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com or collegeview.com. You'd be a welcome at any of our services. If you are listening to us in perhaps the podcast version and you have questions about something you hear on the program, we welcome your questions or comments anytime you can contact us at the regular number or email, questions at collegeview.com or 877-381-4567. As we talk about the reliability of the Bible, James, you know, it is reasonable for an uh, unbeliever to ask us to prove what we're, we're saying. And uh, the apostles understood that that was reasonable, and the uh, apostles offered proofs for their teachings.
2: Oh, they absolutely did. You know, uh, Saul of Tarsus, when he uh, when he was first converted, for example, when he was arguing with the Jews, he, he it, it says that he... Prove that Jesus was the Christ. Now he used the uh, Old Testament scriptures to prove. In Second Corinthians twelve and verse twelve, Paul talked about when he went to the Corinthians and he taught them this new doctrine to them. And here they are; they're they're pagan idol idol worshippers. What they are in Corinth. Uh-huh. And he went to them with this new teaching. He said, "There's something he did there." In 2 Corinthians twelve twelve, it says the signs of a true apostle were performed performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. Now, why did he do the signs of an apostle? What were these signs? They were miracles. Proof. They were proof. They were miracles that he performed to show that what he was teaching was revealed by God. So he, he, uh, he offered them sufficient evidence. He didn't just go to them and say, here I have, I've got this new teaching, and they, probably, they might have taken parts of it and just added it to everything else they believed. And he said that this is the teaching, the only teaching, and he proved it with a sign.
1: All right. Uh, Chris in Atlanta references, uh, he says the, there were eyewitnesses to the events. Paul mentioned 500 eyewitnesses to the resurrection and mentioned names, that is the 12, if people wanted to verify what he was saying. Good good points there uh, by Chris as well. You know, that kind of evidence alone, uh, James, in a court of the, uh, law would be overwhelming, 500 eyewitnesses. Absolutely. You wouldn't, uh, the judge wouldn't give you time to present all those.
2: No, no, that's right. That's exactly right. And, uh, you know, they, 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 they were all still alive at the time. Paul was so well, he said some were dead. Some had, some had fallen asleep. He said when he wrote first 15, but there were still many, many were still alive,
1: many that they could have referenced. Uh, Patrick in Alabama says uh, the testimony of numerous witnesses, miracles, fulfilled prophecies, logical reasoning and philosophy and their own virtuous lives. You know, the lives of those who wrote the Bible, as you mentioned, uh, James, certainly is uh, good proof. Uh, and the apostles uh, present that proof to us of the fact that the Bible certainly must be credible.
2: And I believe, as Mike said earlier, you know, they, they died for this message. Yes. And nobody disputes that they were killed for this message. I mean, the, even extra biblical resources, historical resources tell us that the that the original, most of the original 12 apostles died for the message that they
1: That's right. 877-381-4567. Email questions at collegeview.com. Join in the discussion tonight as we talk about the reliability of the Bible. Why are you convinced that the Bible is, in fact, the Word of God? Why you should follow the Bible? What is your conviction? Why do you believe what you believe? Let us know your thoughts on the program tonight. As we talk about the reliability, James, it is important for us to notice that uh, the Bible is reliable because of the
2: numerous manuscripts that we have of the uh of the Bible so one of the common uh objections that you'll hear from a skeptic about the Bible is that well, you know it was something that was uh corrupted over time, and that the one that we have is not necessarily the one that was originally uh, written down, yes, and that it was uh, or or you'll hear people say people say the Bible we have was uh, put together by the Catholic Church. That's that's a common objection. Yep. Okay. And um, the, the fact of the matter is that, that that's just simply not true. Many of the Greek manuscripts, for example, for the New Testament we have, predate the the Catholic Church having come into existence. Certainly, yeah. Um, so, you know, we have over 5,000 Greek New Testament manuscripts available.
1: That is uh, amazing. That number, the, the magnitude of that number may... You know, pass us by if we don't stop and consider that. And compare it with uh, the number of manuscripts that we have of
2: of other documents. Uh, and these other documents of antiquity are not disputed as being reliable.
1: That is that is true. Uh, let me just read what Chris wrote, and he has some good points here. He says there are over five thousand copies or manuscripts, as you mentioned, James. Uh, the Iliad by Homer is the second most has the second most manuscripts with six hundred. There's over five thousand copies. Manuscripts of the Bible, the Iliad by Homer is the second most document of antiquity with uh, only 600. Only 600. A fraction of those. No one doubts that the Iliad was really written by Homer, or that what it uh, contains is what he really wrote there.
2: That's right. There's no there's no argument about
1: that. All right. He goes on. The New Testament has about nine times this amount. I don't know of anyone that denies the authenticity of Iliad, but many deny the authenticity of the Bible. Here's a chart I found on the Internet, which I've seen before. Notice the time between the original copies and the New Testament uh, and uh, the Iliad. Uh, he goes on. He, he lists several different uh, works here. Uh, but, uh, you know, James, the, the, when you lay the manuscripts, the number of manuscripts, and the quality of the manuscripts and the age of the manuscripts with reference to the original of the Bible with these other documents antiquity, it, it, they all pale in comparison.
2: That, that's right you just do not have the number of manuscripts that we have of the New Testament and, and one thing to be said about that now we're talking about're um, talking now we're not talking about manuscripts that are wildly variant from each other either and yet we're also talking about manuscripts that are not exactly and absolutely identical to each other and so what that tells us is that somebody didn't just take one and make 5,000 copies of it and here we are Right. We're talking about something that was circulated and passed around and preserved by being written down.
1: And the fact that it's copied more and more helps us to verify that what we have is, in fact, valid and, and uh, credible.
2: I, I agree. I, absolutely. That's exactly right. So, um, you know, the oldest one that we have was produced around 130 A.D. That, that's, a, that's a little over 30 years after the death of the Apostle John.
1: Unbelievable. Thirty years that is amazing. Uh, patrick in atlanta or in alabama says because of time and where many of the historical documents from the ancient world have few manuscripts to which we can refer this is especially true when we consider the secular historians and philosophers for instance we only have eight copies of herodotus's historical work whose originals were written 480 to 425 bc likewise only five copies of aristotle's writings have been found have found their way to the 20th century well, only ten copies of the writing of Caesar, along with another 20 copies of the historian Tacitus, and seven copies from the historian Flinnny, uh, were who all originally wrote in the first century and are available today. These are indeed very few. When we consider the New Testament, however, we find a completely different scenario. We have today in our possession 5,300 known Greek manuscripts in the New Testament and under another 10,000 uh, Latin Vulgates and 9300. Uh, other early versions given us more than 24,000 manuscript copies of portions of the New Testament in existence today. Uh, though we do not have any originals with such wealth of documentation at our disposal, to which to compare we can delineate quite closely what those originals contain.
2: Yeah, that's, that's absolutely accurate. And, you know, you take something like the Vulgate, for example. Vulgate was translated in the 4th century A.D. Yes. Yeah. You know. A very early translation. I mean, Jerome had access to manuscripts that we probably, we probably do not have Amazing. to make that translation. All
1: right, and those, and that, the, all of these documents, uh, James. We can lay them side by side, we can compare them, and determine is this accurate or is it not, and it helps us to determine that we have a reliable copy of the original.
2: At any point of variation that you find between one manuscript, one manuscript and another. What you do not find is any change of any doctrine whatsoever. Nothing. I mean, there may be a, a, you know, an article here or there, you know, a preposition missing here or there, but nothing affects any teaching that you find.
1: You need to restate that, James, because what you're saying is the differences between the manuscripts are minuscule. And they are inconsequential when it comes to what the Bible is actually
2: teaching. That's right. And I actually I personally I believe that it actually strengthens the argument that there that we have good manuscript evidence that somebody didn't just contrive a whole bunch of manuscript evidence or produce a bunch of manuscript evidence to be found somewhere.
1: Okay. All right. That's a good point. 877-381-4567 email questions at collegeview.com. Uh, What are your reasons why you believe the Bible? Mike has been filling up the chat room with some excellent points, as have uh, other listeners as well. Uh, Mike talks about the fact that the Bible, the writers of the Bible, uh, were strongly persecuted by the Jews and the Roman government. If the New Testament writings were false, these two groups would have produced a great deal of evidence to stop the growth of this sect. None exists.
2: That's a very good point. I mean, they had just so much an opportunity to, let uh, you take something like the resurrection for example uh, I mean where's the body you right know? it could have it could have just squelched it immediately
1: now He also goes on Josephus in his writings and Antiqu- antiquities supports several things that the Bible says in spite of the fact that Josephus was not a Christian he would have had every motive to discredit this sect
2: that's uh, interesting that's right there's a there's one statement I don't remember the reference in the antiquities right now in which he talks about Jesus. Or he talks about Christ who came and worked many wonderful works and and did this or that. I don't remember the exact reference. I'm sure somebody who has access to that could look it up. But
1: did you uh, bring your copy?
2: I, I didn't. I didn't. I left it at home. Okay. Sorry, but it ah. anyway. It's a, it's a, it's in there somewhere. So
1: do you have the original?
2: I, I I don't. You know, for some reason, the original Josephus, even though he wrote in the first century,
1: yeah, don't have it.
2: Also gone. All
1: right, J- James. Let me ask you. Uh, you know, this is speculation, but you know, if God was going to give mankind the Bible, don't you think that he would have gone to the trouble of preserving the original copies? I mean, couldn't he have, you know, put them in some type of time capsule that we could find or maybe had them written in indelible ink on uh, paper or parchment that would never uh, decay?
2: Well, you know, the, that that uh, he could have done that, of course. So there's no doubt that he could have done that. Uh, but uh, of course, one of the things about people is <clears throat> they, they worship things like that. <laughs> yeah, they take something like that. They, they You would have a reference to the bronze serpent, would you? I was thinking about the bronze serpent yeah. actually, the one that Hezekiah had to break up in what second Kings 18 or first Kings 18.
1: Because it was a religious
2: relic that had become an idol. That's right. they took it and they started worshiping it and he broke had to break it up into pieces. So again, it is pure speculation, but perhaps this is the reason why we don't have any original. It, it, it might be that that's exactly what people would do. You know, there'd would... be a
1: shrine to Paul, you know, to Titus, or to the Book of uh, James. Or well,
2: whatever. I mean, look at look at this. Look at the things that 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 are supposedly preserved. The last wall of the temple uh, that that people you see them there lined up every day worshiping at, or you see what they think was the tomb. You know, the, again, there's a huge shrine to it. People go there to uh, to to worship. You know, and um, and and so uh, that that's that's what people have done with these kind of things.
1: Yeah. Mike has maybe given you that quote from Josephus. He says, uh, here's the quote. Now, there was about this time, Jesus, a wise man, it is lawful to call him a man for he was a doer of wonderful works. If it be lawful for him to call him a man, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure, he drew over to him many both of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was the Christ, and when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men amongst us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at the first did not forsake him, for he ha- appeared to them alive again the third day, as the divine prophets had foretold these and 10,000 other wonderful things concerning him, and the tribe of Christians so named from him are not extinct to this day.
2: And So there's your quote from Joseph. That's what I was
1: all right, we need to quick take a break, and when we get back, we won't get done with this, but we need to talk about the internal evidence. What is the evidence from the Bible itself, the internal evidence of the Bible, that prove it's, uh, it's the fact that it is, in fact, must be from God? What kind of evidence can we find from the Bible itself? We're going to get into that question and hopefully take yours on the other side of the break. Don't go anywhere. We'll go to the top of the hour right after this.
0: Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial.
6: I'm Larry Raspberry, a member of the College View Church of Christ, with a question for you. Do you believe in parachutes? I suppose you do. You believe they exist, but that's not what I mean. There's a difference between believing something or someone exists and putting your confidence in it or him. One who has seen a parachute knows they exist, but has never put his confidence in one. Trying one on while standing on the ground isn't faith either. Going up in a plane intending to jump out with a parachute on is not faith in the parachute either. Opening the door at the moment of truth and gazing outside to the ground is not faith either. It is only when one jumps out the door, counts to ten, and pulls the ripcord that he has actually put his faith in the parachute. Many of you believe parachutes exist, but only a few have actually put your faith in one. Many people in the world say they believe God exists, but only a few put their faith in him for salvation by doing what he says. We'd love to help you in developing a saving faith in God. If we can be of assistance, please contact us. Send an email to questions at collegeview.com or call us at 877-381-4567. And thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study.
0: This is Jared in Warwickshire, England. Listen to the chat from the Virtual Bible Study each Thursday night. Quit checking your email. The commercials are over, and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. We'll
1: welcome you back to the program tonight. David is in Lake City. Sounds tropical, but that's Minnesota. It's starting to get cold up there. He, uh <laughs> yeah, cold, shivery. Uh, he says before printing, religious writers quoted extensively from the scriptures. The entire New Testament could be recrea- recreated from these quotations alone. So that's, uh, that's an interesting point.
2: That's that's right. Yeah, we talked about the the manuscripts. You got the manuscripts. You got the copies of the manuscripts. The 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 um, external references. That's right. The external references, even from the first century, uh, would produce the vast majority of it. Good point. All right, uh, we have
1: an article here from uh, Doy Moyer uh, James, and he uh, he has some interesting criteria to look at as so we look at this internal evidence. He says uh, we do not have the space here to examine the, the bibliographical data concerning the Bible. Uh, that is how it came to us uh, through history. Instead, we'll briefly consider some internal questions, criteria by which historians measure ancient documents to ascertain their historical value. Most of these are just common sense. And so he looks at these criteria that if you were a historian and you found a, you were digging in the backyard and you found a scroll, not necessarily of the Bible, but something else, you would want to know, is this scroll accurate or is it just, you know, or some kids playing out here with something and they, and this is what it is. First question was was the writer in a position to know what he was talking about does the text claim to be based on eyewitness accounts that's a question that someone would ask about any document of it, of ancient history and as you mentioned earlier the bible's i mean the writers claim that they know what they're talking about and they—and it does contain eyewitness
2: that's right they they, they actually claim to have seen the things that happened again luke talked about how that he was a witness that, that he uh, they, they were eyewitnesses to what he was talking about
1: all right he also asked this they would ask the question does the document in question contain specific and apparently irrelevant material what's that about
2: well um sometimes you know uh, you find um records that contain material that they don't have anything to do with what
1: yeah, he says, first-hand sources are often full of details that are not central, not central to the story. False accounts are often generalized. It is. This is not to say the Bible has irrelevant material, but when we look at given records, there are some details that on first reading appear unnecessary. For example, in our reading of John chapter 20, verses 1 through 8, one might wonder whether it really matters if it was an early or late, dark or light. Does it matter that Peter went in the tomb first or that the burial cloth was folded? Again, these things may be significant, But from a historical viewpoint, why put material like this in unless it just happened as it says? It boosts historical reliability.
2: That's right. That's a good point that uh, um, if if it could be called into question, it's very specific.
1: Yes, and if I was just going to make something up, I would not want to provide a lot of details that could somehow incriminate me.
2: No, no, you'd want to keep it very generic.
1: All right. He also says they would ask, does the document contain self-damaging material? If a document has material that makes the heroes look bad, or if the material might even weaken the story, then it strengthens the case for uh, truth uh, being the motivation of the writer. Though it sounds odd, the Bible does contain such material. One of the clearest examples of this is in the Gospel accounts, in which women are first to discover the empty tomb and report the resurrection. This is not to be uh, negative toward women, but it is a historical fact that women could not testify in courts at that time, as they were considered talebearers. Now, if the account is fabricated and the writer wanted to pass it off as true, it would be self-defeating to put women in such a position. Uh, they probably would not even be a part of the account, but they are. What accounts for it? This is the way that it really happened. So their inclusion strengthens the case for historical reality. Add to the this other disciples, such as Peter, that are often portrayed in a bad light. Their faults are not hidden.
2: An excellent point.
1: Again, if I was wanting to make uh, some type of uh, fairy tale here, I would not. Put in these types of facts.
2: Now, one thing pointed out right there is, of course, also the women were there. The men did actually, the men didn't believe. Yeah. Uh, that's why they weren't looking. Yeah. See, they had to go get the men.
1: Yeah. So, more things that would be incriminating.
2: Oh, absolutely. Peter and John, for example. Yes. Didn't believe.
1: All right. He uh, poses number four. Is the document uh, reasonably self consistent? Is there coherence to the accounts? Do they make sense? Would uh, Most would expect some inconsistency in historical documents, but this does not normally cause problems. Concerning the Bible, we do find a self-consistent theme, even though the writers were over a 1,600-year period from men uh, of differing backgrounds, languages, times, etc. The Gospel accounts present a consistent portrait of Jesus. There are differences, but these do not equal contradictions. The differences do not change the relative consistency of the accounts. So there's a consistent thing we 'll talk about that quickly before we concluded and Finally, he says, "Is there evidence of addition and exaggeration? Fish stories are exaggerated over time. Critics sometimes claim this about the Bible, uh, that is the later disciples added the idea that Jesus is God. However, as uh, c s Lewis put it uh, as a literary historian, I am perfectly convinced that whatever else the Gospels are, they are not legends. I have read a great deal of legend, and I am quite clear they are not uh, the same sort of things uh, so the evidence for exaggeration is not there and so he makes some good points there James that uh, you know a historian would make uh, make these types of analysis analyses of uh, uh, a document to prove it was historically accurate and the Bible would pass their test
2: that's right and it's fair I mean, to, to treat the Bible as an historical document uh, there's there's nothing unhistorical about it I mean again we've already shown how we have it's very old document very old. So, like any other historical document,
3: from that standpoint, it's a very good idea.
1: Anthony, your comments uh, in the chat room there tonight.
3: No, I just think uh, I think there's the evidence is, is amazing that uh, you know just looking at the Bible in itself, it's, it supports itself, and uh, for all these reasons that we talked about, I find it particularly interesting. You know that the great heroes of the Bible, the Davids, the Abrahams, uh, the Peters, uh, are. Their faults are not are not covered up, and um, you know that to me uh, goes to show that this was not a document that was fairy tale. So, yeah.
1: All right, Uh, good good comments. Uh, Quickly, the just the general aspects of the Bible, uh, James. The fact that it was written by so many different writers over such a period long period of time proves the authenticity.
2: Absolutely. Again, the Bible has the Bible has one theme to it. And the theme of the Bible is the redemption of man through Jesus Christ. That that's what the theme of the Bible is, and everything in it points, first of all, to that to that one theme about this uh, this one common thread that everything points to. You take, for example, you know the uh, Messiah would be a descendant of this man Abraham, and we read about it in Genesis 12, and then in Acts 3 we find that Jesus is a descendant of Abraham. Very consistent throughout. And it was prophesied very early on that Jesus, that Abraham was told from his seed, all nations of the earth would be blessed. And then that seed came along, you know, so that the Messiah would be a descendant of Judah.
1: So what you're saying is, these different writers didn't know each other, had no interaction with each other. Many of them were able to write a book that, when you put it together, the theme is coherent and unified. That's, that's an amazing fact, an, an impossible task if there was not divine assistance.
2: Uh, how would you keep them all on the same page? How would you keep them all from drifting into their own agenda or whatever that they wanted to go into? And uh, you, you, there would be absolutely no way to do that unless there were one individual directing them all toward the same type of revelation
1: you had some other prophecies there as well
2: well like Jesus uh, the, the Messiah was prophesied to be a descendant of, of, of Judah uh, Genesis 4910 we said the scepter would not depart from Judah Matthew 1 and verse 2 of course Jesus was a descendant of Judah Luke 3 verse 33 gives us genealogy you
1: know there are specific prophecies as well and one of those criteria would be that there were specifics mentioned why would you go to the trouble of mentioning specifics if you wanted to try and pull over uh, uh, you know a farce or a sham you know, I would make very general statements that could be easily pro- or easily fulfilled by anyone if I was trying to pull something over. If there were specifics, for instance, that the Messiah's bones would not be broken, uh, that, that he would be pierced through the hands uh, and feet. Now, how could that happen just in gen- in, in generalities? I would not, uh, if I was trying to pull over a farce, I would never I'm going to put specifics in my document
2: that's right and it's and it's very specifically named in, in john 19 how that his bones were not broken when he died on the cross
1: all right and uh there are prophecies as well that would go against reasoning if you were going to make up a story things that uh you you would you would uh, you would tell the story the other way
2: well that's exactly right uh, i mean you you wouldn't you wouldn't want to tell you wouldn't want that story to be expressed you'd want to change a story
1: all right okay well James, we are out of time, and as I said, we didn't get finished. But there are lots of proofs, lots of reasons why we should believe the Bible is, in fact, accurate. Absolutely. Now, I've got to ask you one question, James, and uh, this question is perhaps, the answer to this question is perhaps the reason why many people are unwilling to believe that the Bible is accurate. If the Bible is, in fact, accurate, if it is, in fact, from God, what's our response and reaction
2: to it? We've, we've, got, we've got to obey what it says. We've got to change our lives. We've got to come into compliance with everything it tells us to do.
1: That's the problem. That's the other side of the sword that many are unwilling to, to buy. All right. Well, James, thank you for your time tonight. appreciate the discussion. For you a good discussion, and thank you for joining us on the program tonight. All right. Uh, and, Anthony, thank you for being a part of the program tonight uh, and helping us uh, get on the air.
3: And hey, No problem. It's
1: always a pleasure. And glad to be with you, and we appreciate you joining us on the program tonight. We missed many of the comments in the chat room. Our apologies for that. Uh, we uh, look forward to you joining us again this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you, book out first in your life, study his inspired word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it.